Hey there, and welcome back to our global Tech Swamp podcast. I'm Caitlin, sitting in for our regular host, Alex, this month, and admittedly, it's a little weird to be in the driver's seat, but on to bigger and better things. In this episode, we're going to be talking all things patents and intellectual property, otherwise known as IP. First, we'll be diving into the importance of strong patent protections for our EU, UK, and US small business members, followed by some highlights from our recent webinar with the United States Patent and Trade Office, otherwise known as the USPTO. But before we get into that, we have our hosts and friendly global podcast team here today. Hey, Brad. Why, hello there. Hello. And Stephen, how's it going? Pretty good, thanks. Hello from the UK. Hello from the UK, indeed. And (laughs) as I said, I'm Caitlin. Before we get into everything IP and patents, we're going to talk tech history and hit those global top tech headlines. May 22nd, 2010. About 13 years ago this month marked the first ever Bitcoin pizza day. That's right. On May 22nd, 2010, Laszlo Hanyas, a Florida-based software programmer and Bitcoin owner, bought two Papa John's pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin, marking one of the first, if not the first time, that someone purchased something with Bitcoin. Now, at the time of the purchase, the Bitcoin was worth about 30 US dollars. But back in its heyday in 2021, 10,000 Bitcoins would have been valued at 684 million US dollars. Now, Laszlo said he doesn't regret the decision that led to Bitcoin Pizza Day, but he does advise paying for pizza with cash moving forward. And the rest is tech history. And now on to bites and brews. Brad and Steven, what's going on in the news? It appears for now that here in the U.S., lawmakers have come to a deal on the U.S. debt ceiling. A little context here for our global listeners. The debt ceiling is the legislative limit on the amount of national debt the U.S. government can borrow. As of this week, the U.S. will have hit that ceiling and will either have to increase spending or pick and choose which bills to pay with the funds that are currently on hand. After some back and forth over the weekend, President Biden and Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy said that both Democrats and Republicans have come to a deal. However, a few members from both parties have their fair share of concerns. House Democrats seem to take issue with cuts to social programs and increased defense spending. Well, some Republicans say the bill doesn't go far enough to rein in government spending programs and agencies like the IRS. Head to the show notes for more info. And the UK is making history with its new product security and telecommunications infrastructure regime. This is the world's first initiative that mandates minimum cybersecurity standards for consumer devices like phones, smart speakers and gaming consoles before they hit the shelves. The initiative aims to increase transparency about security updates and is set to go into effect on April the 29th, 2024. Last week... The U.S. House of Representatives passed legislation to permanently authorize the Department of Veterans Affairs Tech Training Program. The program launched as a pilot in 2019 and provides veterans with tuition support to receive training for careers in tech. Even better, the program has an 84% graduation rate, empowering veterans as they transition back into civilian 
And there's more out of the UK with the recent landmark court case exposing the misuse of tech patents against small businesses. The recent high profile decision involves a standard essential patent or SEP dispute between Interdigital Technology Corporation and the Livono Group Limited. The court looked into whether Interdigital's terms were fair and found that they'd been unreasonable in past negotiations, including with smaller businesses and that um, Interdigital imposed hefty fees violating fair terms. And in fact, this case shows how to move forward on patent licensing fairly and points out several unfair practices. It's a valuable lesson for UK courts and agencies as they continue implementing SEP licensing changes. For more information, head to the show notes. And that's all for what's brewing. As we mentioned earlier, this episode is all things IP. But before we hear some highlights from our USPTO webinar, I want to dive into the why. Why is intellectual property so important, especially for small businesses? Strong intellectual property protections safeguard the creativity of our members and other small businesses, including their ability to create jobs and develop innovative hardware products and services. Piracy not only threatens a developer's ability to invest, expand, and hire, but also undermines user confidence when consumers become victims of illegal distributors. All too often, we've heard from our members about other people stealing their app and making essentially the same exact thing, but with different colors or calling it something different, even when it's the exact same app otherwise. We've also even had members ask a business to build them an app Uh, They are delivered something less than ideal, and then uh, the app that they were promised is created outside of that agreement, uh, creating a whole issue there. Um, And and these sorts of outcomes are absolutely not suitable for rewarding innovators and uh, making sure that uh, when people take the chance to become an entrepreneur and and start a business and create a product or or service, uh, they're not being rewarded for that. Absolutely. Copycat apps are such a huge issue, especially when it comes to consumer trust for smaller businesses like our members. When it comes to consumer trust, that's pretty much everything when you're building a business. And if there is an app that's out there that looks like yours, but is doing something nefarious with consumer data or people's credit card information, that can lead to a real issue down the road when it comes to people um, trusting your brand and your app. Um, So, Stephen, I kind of want to pivot here. You do a ton of policy-related work with another kind of patent. Now, these are standard essential patents. You just mentioned the recent case in the UK, you know, which is a whole other way that small businesses are kind of getting the short end of the stick when it comes to patent protections. Can you dive into how the world of SEPs, you know, isn't really set up to protect the little guys and, and what we should be kind of looking to do to protect small businesses in this space? Yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, standard essential patents is the thing that I probably spend uh, most of my time on at the App Association. And kind of just to be clear, the standards that we're talking about are technologies like 5G, 4G, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. So really important for things like the Internet of Things. And standard essential patents are bits of IP that you have to license if you want to use any of those technologies in your products. And, you know, standards play an essential role in delivering interoperable products across a global market. And the role of patents in standards and standard bodies is crucial to that future. Unfortunately, abusive standard essential patents poses a significant threat to smaller businesses and consumers. 
because they're not really set up to have in-house IP specialists to fight expensive court cases. And these abuses put the global app economy at risk by enabling unscrupulous licenses to force reliance on fewer suppliers of critical components and weakening supply chains. So there's a couple of good examples. One company that I can't name because they're in an ongoing court process, you know, they designed a product, started selling it to the world. It's a connected product. And they uh, got a letter one day from a, from, a, from a standard essential patent owning entity that said that they owed them an awful lot of money. And it was a lot and it's a lot of money. And because they're a small business, the only route they have to argue that is to go to court, which is incredibly expensive and not something they can afford. I think they've only got five members of staff or something. So, you know, they're currently in a position where the product that they've spent years working on may not be possible because of this, this bill hanging over their head. And then another area that's interesting for one of our members, Manulitica in the UK, is the area of investment. So if you're a, a, an SME or a startup seeking investment, you have to be able to, you know, show your investors that you're a good financial proposition. And with the risk that standard essential patent licensing currently um, has for small companies, if you're using, you know, 4G, 5G or whatever in your product, there is a risk that you will be targeted by unscrupulous patent holders asking you for large sums of money. And investors don't like that sort of risk. So, you know, they've reported that they are struggling to find investment because that risk is something that is, you know, putting potential invest investors off. So it's having, it's a, it's a very complicated area and we've touched on it lightly, but it has real world impacts for small businesses. And, you know, we're hoping to see some changes in law that, that make it a little bit better for them. Absolutely. And so just as Stephen said, right when he was, you know, chatting about SEPs, these are sounding like things that are a little bit complicated and technical, but they're things that we all know and use. They're Wi-Fi, 5G, and they are essential for innovation. Um, they require licensing of patented technology. And because of that, some SEP holders use and exploit these standards. Um, and that directly affects smaller innovators, just like our members who are trying to innovate and use this technology. Um, patent holders, as Stephen said, you know, should be using their tech on fair terms, um, but the terms that they're currently using um, often can blur things and create a loophole for misuse. And speaking of misuse, we're not going to misuse any more of anyone's time here and get straight to the meat and potatoes of the podcast today. We recently hosted a webinar titled Trademark Basics and Registration Procedures for App Developers with the U.S. Patent and Trade Office that was full of amazing information for app, develop app developers who are creating and innovating here in the U.S. We've created a highlight reel of all that super awesome info for you to listen to on the pod today. And we're also hosting another webinar with them open to any and all of our members to or listeners to join. You can head on over to the show notes and RSVP. You do not want to miss it. So we're very excited um, to be, um, be with the USPTO today. Um, this is the first webinar of our IP event series entitled Navigating Intellectual Property Rights for App Developers. Um, so our first webinar here today is entitled Trademark Basics and Registration Procedures for App Developers. And it is presented by Mr. Jason Lott. He is 
the managing attorney for Trademarks Consumer Outreach at the United States Patent and Trademark Office, where he specializes in helping small business owners understand trademarks and the federal trademark registration process. So, hey there, everyone. Uh, so I didn't put the full title on here just because it's a pretty long title for what today's webinar is all about. But it really is about trademark basics uh, for app developers. Uh, and as you can see, and as Priya mentioned, I am the managing attorney for Trademarks Customer Outreach at the USPTO. But I like to think about it as it is my job to teach you about trademarks, what they are, why they're important, and how the federal registration of your trademark can help you build your business. This is kind of what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to hit some basics on what in the world a trademark actually is. We're going to talk about why you might want to consider registering your trademark with us. We're going to talk about some common trademark considerations, things that you're going to want to think about as an app developer. I'm going to give you five quick trademark takeaways. I'm going to point you to some resources. All right, so let's talk about what in the world a trademark actually is. So if you look up on the top left-hand corner there, you're going to see the Apple logo. Now, when you see the Apple logo, what do you think of? computers, right? Or maybe phones or maybe, uh, you know, earbuds or watches or streaming services. But it calls to mind a very specific set of goods and services. Same thing with Coca-Cola, soft drinks, right? McDonald's, hamburgers, Microsoft, hardware and software, Samsung, personal electronics, Amazon, buy what you want, get it in two days, Google, search engine, Nike shoes, Ford trucks, right? So every single time we see or hear or experience a trademark, it automatically calls to mind a very specific set of goods and services. And that relationship between the trademark and the underlying good and service or service is incredibly important. It's what makes a trademark a trademark because if we think about the legal definition of what a trademark is, it is something that identifies the source of goods and services. And in addition to that, it distinguishes them from the goods and services of another party. The easiest example to think of is Coca-Cola, right? You go to a restaurant, the waiter comes over, says, would you like something to drink? You say, yes, I would love a Coke. And he says, is a Pepsi okay? Right? That is a trademark in action. You're using the Coca-Cola trademark to indicate the source of the goods that you want. The waiters using the Pepsi-Cola trademark to indicate the source of the goods they actually provide. And both of those companies are using their trademarks to distinguish themselves from their competitor. Same thing is going to be true for you as an app developer, as somebody who is coming up with new software. What is the thing that you are using to indicate the source of your very specific software? Because what you want is protection for that brand. Now, marketing folks talk about a brand. They talk about, oh, a brand is kind of like how the consuming public feel about you and how they feel about your product. Yeah, great. But how do you protect a feeling? Uh, you can't really, right? But what you can do uh, is get protection for the trademark. It is what is protecting your goodwill. That is a property right that you can hold on to uh, and you can use that to indicate the source of your specific software, whether it's a good, uh, you know, that's put on a phone or whether it's software as a service that you provide. So what we're talking about here is getting protection for you and your business and your brand name to help distinguish you from your competitor apps that happen to be out there.
All right, so let's talk about what a trademark is not, because there are lots of misconceptions out there about what a trademark is. Uh, you people say this all the time. You might have even said it yourself. Hey, I'm going to go trademark something. Right. Uh, and you think that if you, quote, trademark something, that means that you own it. Uh, not really. All right. A trademark does not mean that you legally own a word or a phrase. It does not mean that you can stop other people from saying that word or that phrase. And it certainly does not mean that people owe you money if they say that word or that phrase. I've heard it before. Jason, if I trademark this, that means anytime somebody says it, they owe me a nickel, right? No, no, that is not what that means. All right. So if we think about a common trademark that's out there like Apple, you know, that's a common everyday word. Uh, does Apple, who has a registered trademark for Apple, own the word Apple? No. Can they stop me from saying the word Apple? No. Do I owe them money every single time I say the word Apple? Absolutely not. But if I were to develop a new smartphone, would I be able to call mine an Apple smartphone? No, because Apple is the one who has the exclusive right to use the word Apple to indicate the source of their very specific product. Same thing is true for you. So what's going to happen if you have a trademark is means it means that you would have the exclusive right to use that brand name, slogan, logo to indicate the source of your specific software. All right. So let's talk about um, why uh, you might want to think about registering your trademark with our office. So in the United States, uh, trademark rights are based upon use. The most traditional ways of getting trademark protection in the U.S. are the two ways that you see on your screen, through common law and through federal registration. There's two separate things. I'm going to walk you through both of them, okay? So common law trademark rights are created as soon as you begin to use something to indicate the source of your goods and services. There you go. Okay, so as soon as you begin to use it, you are beginning to build up rights in it. Now, the issue with that is that those rights are limited to the geographic area in which you are operating. And that is because common law trademark rights are based upon state law. So if you're only using it in one particular state, your common law rights are only going to be in that particular state. Or let's say that for whatever reason, your app, you know, is just hyper focused on the small town that you live in, in the middle of Iowa. All right. And so that's all you're doing. You don't care about anybody else. It's just folks in this one small town in Iowa. Well, guess what? Your geographic rights are going to be pretty small. And so it's just going to be protection in a small place. And maybe that's great. Maybe that's what your app is all about. But I think most of you are probably thinking uh, nationally, perhaps someday internationally, right? Uh, so you're not going to perhaps be satisfied with a small geographic scope of protection. You're going to want something that's bigger. But I want you to be aware that these common law trademark rights are out there. And so somebody somewhere already might be earning rights in a trademark that you're kind of thinking about because they're already up and running in their particular spot. Or the reverse could be true. You're already up and running in your particular spot and you're earning common law trademark rights in what you were using to indicate the source of your particular software. And that's going to put you ahead of the game for somebody who hasn't come up with it yet in some other part of the country. 
Now, what the great thing is that you can let people know that you're kind of claiming something as a trademark right now. Uh, you know, you could pop on right now and put a little TM next to your trademark or a little SM if you wanted to. TM stands for trademark. SM stands for service mark. Don't really worry about the difference. Most people don't even care about whether it's a service mark or not. The term trademark or mark or the little TM symbol, that's pretty all encompassing. So even if you're providing a service, you can use a TM. It's totally cool. There's nobody that you have to ask permission from to use a TM. There's no particular typeface, no style, no size that you have to use. Most of the time, people will put a little TM uh, to the right of the trademark in either a superscript or maybe in a subscript, but it's really up to you. It is a great way to let people know, hey, I am claiming trademark rights in this thing. Back off, I'm putting you on notice that I'm claiming these trademark rights. The one thing that you cannot do is use that R in the circle symbol. That is reserved for trademarks that have been federally registered with our office. Okay, real quick, how to find help. Please be aware, trademark field is no different than any field out there. Uh, there are scams that are going on, uh, so we want you to be aware of them. Uh, there are these things called filing firms, uh, these folks that offer low, low prices that all get you guaranteed registration. Uh, no. Uh, no one can guarantee registration. Flat out, no one can guarantee registration. So please be careful when you see stuff like that. Uh, the, as I said, the only people who can give you legal advice are U.S. licensed attorneys that you have a contract with. Um, also, uh, be aware of these misleading notices and offers. You will see these solicitations. They might come in the mail after you apply. You might get a text message, one of these, hey, you got to file this thing right now, right? They're going to try and trick you uh, and put pressure on you, say, oh, you got to do this in 24, 48 hours. Nope. We will never, ever, ever do that. The USPTO will never use high pressure tactics because remember, it is up to you what you want to do. If you want to file, great. If you want to stop, great. Right? We're not going to send you an invoice. We're not going to ask you for credit card information over the phone. We're never going to ask for your social. This is the stuff that happens. All right. Sometimes these people send out these fake invoices and people get tricked and all of a sudden they're paying 4,000 euros for something because they think they're working with us. Not the case. So please be very aware. We have lots of great resources on the website. Uh, we have videos. We have a registration toolkit. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of you have phones with you right now. If you want to, you can just scan the QR code that you see on your screen right now. It should pop up our, our toolkit. You can put it on your phone. Uh, look at it at any time, okay? Um, so that's a, a great place to go for information for a lot of things that we've already talked about today. <laughs> If you don't mind hanging out with me, uh, you can sign up for our Trademark Basics Bootcamp. Uh, we run one of these every quarter. Um, the next one starts July 11th, uh, and it is free. It is eight weeks, 90 minutes uh, each week. It's on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, and we talk through pretty much everything I talked through today in the first week, and then in the remaining weeks, we talk through all the different steps of the registration process. <clears throat> totally free, come hang out if you want to. Uh, it's been a pretty popular program. We're gonna be on our 12th cycle of it um, starting in July. If you're not sure, if you have a copyright, a patent, a trademark, a trade secret, check out our IP identifier. Again, feel free to use the QR code right there. That'll pull that up. You can answer some basic questions uh, about what is what, and then there's also some advanced questions as well. Uh, 
We have lots of free stuff that is available on the website. Uh, and if you want to fool around with the beta version of our virtual assistant, you know, a little chat bot, uh, you can check that out as well. You can just go to the link you see on your screen and, and that's where one of the pages where the virtual assistant lives. Uh, you can try and break it, I guess, if you want to. Um, it's pretty limited right now. It's like 25 questions that will answer. We're hoping to add more to it in the future. And if there's, you have questions that we don't get to today uh, or at any time, you can always contact our Trademark Assistance Center. Give them a call. Um, shoot them an email. Uh, they're open 8.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Um, they are happy to talk to you. Um, you can speak with an actual human. They can point you to different resources. They can answer general questions and things like that. Um, you can also sign up for alerts for when we're doing new webinars and stuff like that. Uh, you can find out all the great stuff that's happened at the USPTO. Just keep in mind that no one here can give you legal advice. We can't help you enforce your legal rights, and we cannot recommend a specific attorney. If you want to work with one, great, uh, but we can't provide, um, you know, hey, work with this person. That's not something that we can do. And now it is time for our random identifiers. Stephen, you're up first. Yeah, well, I think mine is that I, I may have perfected the summer work setup. Um, so it's finally hot in here in the UK after a long, long, dark and cold winter. And I, this morning, was outside in the garden with my portable standing desk, you know, with my cup of coffee in the sun with the sunglasses on, having a lovely time. So I think this year I'm going to be trying to work out in the sun for as, as much as possible. And if you want to see what that setup looked like, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Stephen Tulip. There's a picture of me there. Thoroughly enjoying the sunshine and um, tapping away on my laptop. We're also going to start a GoFundMe for your SPF so that you make sure you are protecting <laughs> your skin. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, just kidding. I'm projecting my sunscreen uh, phobia on everyone this summer. So don't mind me. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the UK version of warm is perhaps not quite as warm as uh, what you guys are used to over in the States. That's true. That's true. But, you know, you want to protect your skin. People people want to keep their, their skin looking nice. And UV is UV, right? No, ab absolutely. I a, think a so. Friend of mine, no, you're right. A, fr a friend of mine works at um, L'Oreal, and he says that the one bit of advice that they all get is that if you want to... You know, if you want to keep your skin looking young, you have to wear sun cream every day, even in winter. I don't do it. Yeah, but that's the and I mean, I I have started doing that because I've seen that. Obviously, our listeners can't see our faces. I have red hair, so like I have to take care of my skin and make sure I am not getting burned, or else I'll look like a lobster all summer. Mm -hmm. um, Brad, I know you can relate to the sunscreen woes, but please tell me you have something for us that is not sunscreen. Yeah, as much as I'd like to talk about how burnt I get when I spend too much time outside without some SPF 600 on my skin, uh, I'd rather <laughs> talk about music. Um, and in this case, I'm not going to bring you a new and cool and exciting band. I just have to rave about uh, a new Dave Matthews band album. As my favorite band, I just, you know, I got to point out, they just released Walk Around the Moon. It's quite fantastic. Some... Uh, some good full band songs, some good acoustic songs, um, you know, pleasantly surprised that a band at this stage in their career is still putting out music that I enjoy and want to listen to more and more. So check it out. 
and can confirm, Brad played some of it in the membership office, and I'm, I'm a pretty easy listener, I will say that, so disclaimer, I'll listen to a lot of different things, but I, I enjoyed it, so thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, I have to talk about Succession. Um, obviously, there's going to be spoilers, so if that is important to you, stop listening right now. Um... Oh my god, really? Yeah. Okay, well... Same, same here as okay, and I'm out as well. Then you guys should just remove your headphones. What I'm gonna say is that the ending... Yeah, seriously, remove your headphones. Um, the ending was expected in a way, but I just really wish that Kendall could have come out on top. Um, that's all, that's all I have to say. Um, all right, you guys, I'll put a little message in here. Headphones back in. Okay, I'm back. All right, well, thank God you didn't miss any of the spoilers. It was dicey. It, it really was. (laughs) Okay, folks, that's it for our Global Tech Swamp podcast. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head on over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And we now have transcripts available. You can find them in our show notes as well as on podscribe.com. Just search TechSwap. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we'd love a rate review. Five stars, please. That's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening to this global episode of Tech Swamp. Everyone say bye. Bye. Bye.